Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. Welcome to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast for smart women who really love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello! Coming up on today's show, the strange rumour file surrounding Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga, the Married at First Sight storyline that should come with its own warning, and the money op-ed that stole our attention this week. But first, Michelle, how was your week? It feels like this week went forever. Did it? How long ago does it feel like we sold out our second live show? A long time ago, yes. Yeah, so for those who missed it, on Monday we sold out our second live show, which is 450 people. <laughs> kind of ludicrous if you think about it. We feel like the biggest con women in the You've entire world. you all made world. a massive mistake, <laughs> is what we wanted to say. Yeah, we sold out that on Monday, and so that feels like a lifetime ago now. It was only seven days ago. Yeah, that is probably true. Did you do much this week? Did you read much? Um, I did take a mental health day. I think that would be my recommendation to the listeners. Obviously, I'm self-employed, so it's a bit easier for me. But on my out-of-office email for that entire day, I was just transparent and just said I'm having a mental health day please don't call me. If it's super urgent, text me if you absolutely have to. And I went shopping. I went to Mecca and spent too much money on makeup products, but it filled me with a lot of joy and happiness. And yeah, I just read a lot that day, which was really nice. Not online. I deleted Facebook from my phone. I deleted my Gmail app. I kind of gave myself a 24 hour digital detox and doing that for 24 hours made me so much more clear mentally. Mm, You forget that you can live a life that doesn't involve being on social media all the time or buried in your phone. Or looking at a screen. That Well, I don't like reading on a screen as much. I mean, I know by virtue of what we do, the majority of what we read is on a screen, but there's something so much nicer about reading the same article on a bit of paper. Maybe I should start printing that. (laughs) It's very extra. Also bad for the environment, so I will not be doing that. What about your week? Um, It was good. It was my last week of full-time work, so I am officially a self-employed human being. I basically just coasted through. It's been a pretty hectic sort of four or five weeks since we started back and I've been struggling a little bit just keeping my head above the water. So it will be nice now sort of actually trying to work normal workday times. So much time together. 
I know. No, we'll be working separately a lot. <laughs> and I feel like we're both a bit hungover today because we were celebrating you finishing work last night and my head well, is I'm spinning. Well, I'm still very confident that I'm allergic to champagne no, <laughs> and wine, which nobody believes me because everybody says, yeah, everybody generally wakes up with a hangover. But I am very convinced that my hangover is always worse than somebody else's. I don't think I'm allergic. I just think I win the award for the biggest lightweight in the whole of Melbourne. No, you definitely do. Mm. So this will be a fun ride, <laughs> won't it? <laughs> Shameless, the hungover edition. <laughs> anyway, before we keep wallowing in our own misery, let's actually start the episode. And we're starting today with Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper because you have been very interested in this story in the last few weeks. Let me set the scene for Please anyone do. who missed it. So we have A Star Is Born, obviously the massive Hollywood blockbuster film that came out late last year. The two key stars of that are Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. So they're both in relationships. Lady Gaga has a fiancé, Christian Carino. And Bradley Cooper has a wife, Irina Shayk, and a daughter with her. Yes. So these are two people in very serious, very long-term relationships. However, the internet has decided that they are in love with each other, mostly because they have done a few performances together, particularly at awards shows and the like in real life away from the film. And it looks very sexually charged. Well, it's hard to say. They are incredibly close and that is definitely part of the Star is Born brand for sure. And I don't know if we're projecting a lot of that sexual tension onto them. But there has been this story or this rumour simmering away since they they started promoing the film for sure but it absolutely has peaked this week do you think it's because they are at so many award ceremonies and people are watching these performances that people just can't get it out of their mind I do but I also think Lady Gaga is pushing this forward she knows that this has been simmering and yet continually is adding fuel to the fire with what because people are speculating that she split from her fiance well yeah so I'll give you the evidence that's come out this week the evidence Mm. I'm so serious about this There was a rose tattoo that she got on her back, which is directly linked to a specific and the most romantic scene in the film that she filmed with Bradley Cooper. Yes. This massive rose tattoo with a quote from the film. Uh, You can go Google it. I'm not going to try and speak French. and Rose. And it's the song that she sung originally when Bradley Cooper first scouted her for the film. It's the song she sings in that first key scene when he scouts her in the actual movie. So it's Mm -hmm. got a lot of meaning going on there. Mm -hmm. So we obviously then have the onset and offset chemistry, which you can look up on YouTube. It is undeniable in my mind. I don't think you can watch them perform together and not see how people are making it a bigger deal than what it might be. Then she attended this week the Grammy Awards solo. She did not mention her fiancé, Christian Carino, in any of her multiple acceptance speeches, and most importantly, Zara, did not wear her ring. Yeah, that's a big one for sure because that is quite a hefty ring. It's a beautiful ring. I'm not sure I would love it myself, (laughs) but it is beautiful and clearly very expensive. I was reading a piece on InStyle about, you know, their uh, pros and cons or evidence for and against whether Lady Gaga and Christian Carino had broken up, and this sentence made me laugh because they said... Carino, a fairly avid grammar, just some millennial speak there for you, hasn't posted since February 5, not to congratulate Gaga on her Grammys wins or to wish her a happy Valentine's Day. Additionally, Gaga isn't following Carino on the platform, though it's unclear if she ever did. Surely you'd follow your fiancé on 
Instagram. Especially when he posts her, his entire feed is her. So mm. I kind of, that'd be a bit of a creepy account if she wasn't following it. It really does look like they've split up. Yeah, that I don't deny. I find it strange that we are so happy to have this conversation about two people getting together when it actually is two people's very real lives and a real life marriage here as well. But that's why I'm so surprised that Lady Gaga has been spurring this forward. Like she has not shied away from these rumors at all. So in her Critics' Choice Awards speech, she directly said, you are a magical human being. I love you. It's just, it's just like, if it might be a friendship. Don't get me wrong. It's very intense. And surely if this was putting strain on both relationships, you would kind of take that little step back publicly to be like, I'm going to be a little bit less intense when I speak about our relationship. Yeah. And I, not get a tattoo all over my back about you. But then if it was a thing, as if they wouldn't want to be more quiet about it, like you would be quieter about it. Mm. There's a couple of things for me here. They, when they first, when the, the film first premiered, they walked the red carpet together and held hands, which I thought was a kind of odd move. I don't know if that's me just being overly judgmental and <laughs> not open-minded. We're, we're trying to do this entire segment without judging, but I, I holding am hands, a little bit. Holding hands on the red carpet I find strange. I'm yeah. just going to go out there and say yeah. it. And I, because it's not something that you necessarily have to do. Like you absolutely don't have to do that, which makes me think that maybe this is a story that's all very deliberate. Like maybe it's been core to the film's success that people believe the chemistry between them both on screen and off screen that we can't really separate the two and people love the film and the story so much because of that. Like this is core to the film's success. It's a very good conspiracy theory. I quite it's like not, that. But I don't think they would have sat around a table and thought, let's try and fuel these rumours. But I think it's mm. very important that they seem as close offset as they are on set. I don't think we can underestimate the pressure and strain that this would put on your relationship as well. So Anna Farris spoke about this in her book last year. She wrote a memoir called Unqualified and she was married to Chris Pratt, obviously. I think it was for, what, five, six, seven years. And she- <laughs> 12, 13, somewhere between zero and 20. <laughs> I love that I'm just trying to guesstimate. I don't know how long they were married. Come at me if you want to complain about that. I'm sorry. So she wrote in her book that everything in their marriage, they ended up getting a divorce, everything changed after Chris filmed the 2016 movie Passengers with Jennifer Lawrence. And one of my favorite quotes from that chapter is even before they met in person, my publicist out of the blue pulled me aside. She said, Anna, listen, there are going to be paparazzi all over them. They are going to be shots of them laughing together on their way to the set. There are going to be stories circulating and you have to brace yourself. That makes me really sad. Mm. And I know that we talk and joke a lot about Hollywood's divorce rate and how none of them can keep a relationship together for the life of them. And of course, there is something to be said about ego in those scenarios, for sure. But there is another element of this. The scrutiny would just be so intense that even if a story is not true, you couldn't help but feel affected by it. Absolutely. And irrespective of whether or not Christian and Lady Gaga, Christian, first name basis, Christian Carino and Lady Gaga have split, Irina Shayk was still at the Grammy Awards with totally. her husband. She's still the mother of his child, regardless of whether or not there's any truth to these rumours. It would be a really shitty thing to go through, to have the whole world or the whole privileged white world speculate on the state of your marriage. state of your marriage and how much you can trust your husband. Well, I just wonder if there's another another part of this that speaks to how private both Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper are and whether that's to their detriment in this kind of scenario, because I feel like their privacy gives the tabloids permission to run free and make up whatever they want to make up because they're probably not going to say anything about it. Remember that brilliant Bradley Cooper profile um, in the New York Times when A Star Is Born came out and the journalist Taffy Bredessa-Ackner could not get 
anything out of Bradley Cooper. And that became the theme of the profile, that she couldn't get anything out of him. He was like a brick wall. I wonder if that has a huge part to play in this as well, because it's not like they're very open people. It's not like they're going to come out and deny it, because if they are very private and then they do come out and deny it, is that not strange anyway and goes against sort of the character that they are playing in this public forum? Well, they have no control over their own narrative anymore. Yeah. We are all like people on Twitter are just taking this and running with it. So I get wanting to keep your entire life private and let your art speak for itself. But in this case, this is just running rampant all over the internet. Cosmopolitan, Harper's Bazaar, InStyle, they're all writing think pieces about this. It'll die, though. I mean, award season will come and it will go and this story will die. As long as Lady Gaga's not getting a tattoo every month dedicated to him, well, then we don't yeah, even know die. if it is. But, I mean, that tattoo could say something else about how this is a pivotal point in her career. I mean, mm. it's been a turning point. She's suddenly taken very seriously as an actress. She's nominated for a goddamn Oscar. Yeah. And, I don't know, I also wonder if this says something about how we still struggle with platonic friendships or understanding platonic friendships no, between men and women. No, don't give me that no, bullshit. I- I'm sorry, if I got up on a stage and said, you're a magical human being, I love you. But she I- called him the love of her life in one. I am, like, severely inappropriate with some of my male friends to the point where I would think, God, if people were watching me right now, or maybe if my boyfriend's friends who didn't know me that well saw me with my best, best friends, this would look weird. But there's a whole lot of context there and there's a whole relationship there that people don't understand and people don't know what to do with. I mean, I don't think this necessarily sits in that basket, but I do think it plays a very small part. Mm. And I do get the point about platonic friendships. Of course I do. And of course men and women can be friends without there being this sexual energy. I just think they've been playing into this and I think they've been pushing it forward for sure. I think they absolutely have and it's worked to their advantage. I mean, The Star is Born has been the biggest film of the year and we're still talking about it, Mm. even into award season. And we'll be talking about it as award season is happening, not just the film, but their relationship too. So I think it's clever. If they're happy to cop it, I think it's clever. As a side note, I do really love Lady Gaga. So I'm really interested to see what acting gigs she takes on next because it will be a big feat to back up her role as Ali because she absolutely smashed it. Yeah, totally. It'll be very interesting to see. Also, who hires her too? Well, there can be 100 people in a room and Lady Gaga just needs a second one to believe in her. So now she needs two people in the room to believe in her. <laughs> Fucking hell. Never let me do that accent again. I'm a choreographer. That's what I do. You are cheerleaders. What you do is a tiny, pathetic subset of dancing. I will attempt to transform your robotic routines into poetry, written with the human body. Follow me, or perish, sweater monkeys. And now it's time for the quick and dirty. Every week we give you guys the top five celebrity stories from the news cycle. Zara McDonald. Yes. Are you ready? I am ready. My first story on the list, Katy Perry and Orlando Bloom are engaged. That is from CNN. This relationship has so surprised me. So they've been on and off again for about three years. They were together in 2016, broke up for a bit, got back together at the beginning of 2018. It interests me because Katy Perry and Miranda Kerr, Orlando Bloom's ex, seem to be nothing alike. They seem to be polar opposites on the spectrum of what your personality can be. Yeah, I mean, we don't actually know them personally. Let me just remind you that. So we don't know. <laughs> but I do. Well, even I think Orlando Bloom and Katy Perry seem mismatched, even though I don't know them from a vibe. So they just look like a mismatch. You know, when you see a couple and you think, yeah, they match, like they they often look a little alike, mm. truly. And that's when you think that they match. These two I've never really understood, but I've also really enjoyed the relationship. They've kept it very low key for the last few years. 
And they have confirmed the engagement. So this is a proper thing. <laughs> We're not just bullshitting. Yeah, <laughs> we haven't just made up rumours. So I guess good on them. There is there is a point, though, in, in the fact that Orlando Bloom and Miranda Kerr's relationship didn't work out. And to go for somebody who might be very different could be the reason why that relationship does work. I love that the first two things we've discussed on today's podcast are us analysing the relationships of people we have never met. Isn't this what we do? <laughs> I don't know why you're surprised by that. Number two. Two, Firefest founder Ja Rule is planning a new festival. Woohoo! I added that word into the headline, <laughs> which is a solid idea. That is from Pedestrian TV. Nothing like a bit of shade in their headlines. I love Pedestrian off. TV headlines at the moment. They're great. Ja Rule, don't do this. I think that should just be a rule. I think it should also be a rule, Zara, that you put down that pen that you've been... It's actually not a pen. So I'm talking and I've got an, an eyeliner in my hand and I'm shaking it as I'm talking. Why are you doing that? You look so fidgety. Put it down because you it's keep a, making noises. I'm going to have to edit it out. Give thing. that to me. Thank you. For the listeners at home, I have handed over the eyeliner. Maybelline Masterliner. Yeah, my mum bought it for me last week. All right. Sorry, continue. Ja Rule has not watched either Hulu documentary or the Netflix documentary. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. He said he didn't need to watch them because he was there. But even still, I think if he watched them, he would understand the effect that this had on other people and wouldn't therefore try to plan a new brand, which is almost the same as Fire, and therefore another festival. It's very egocentric to think that you lived it and therefore you know everyone's experiences yeah. because the human fallout from Fire Festival was insane. So I'm sure if he did watch those documentaries, he'd find out a lot more about all the people he hurt and basically ripped off. Oh, 100%. And I think you remember sort of a story in a very particular way and it's always very helpful to get other perspectives on it too. So... I don't think this festival's... I don't know who's going to buy a ticket to a Ja Rule festival now, but good luck to him, you know? Number three, not your average bikey gang. Women strip down to their honey birdette lingerie and hit the city on motorbikes, in capital letters, thanks very much, to celebrate being single on Valentine's Day. That, in case you are unaware, was from the Daily Mail. Stunned. Shocked. <laughs> not your average bikey gang. Thoughts on this story? Well, we disagreed on this. We I don't spoke think we about did. it. Okay, well, my opinion, I did see there was a post in our Facebook group, Shameless Podcast Community, if you're not already in there, but there was a post in there where lots of listeners were disagreeing with each other. One side was saying that Honey Burdette, it, which is a lingerie brand, is sexist and misogynistic and puts out very graphic sexual imagery in their advertising. And the other group was saying, well, it's a brand. They can do whatever they want. They're not hurting anyone. They're not depicting violence. They're not using domestic abusers. Hello, uh, Ultra Tune. Yes, this is true. <laughs> they're just they're just showing women in an explicit way, which those women are choosing to do, and it's clearly working for them. Also, one of the other points was that some women feel really empowered when they wear lingerie, and that's totally their right. I sit with the second camp. I think well, they're not hurting anyone. Let them. The more we talk about this, the more we're just giving them free PR. No, true. And I, I mean, I do think that second argument needs a little more nuance because I don't, I don't disagree with it completely. It's not like they're saying, hey, we're feminists. By the way, we're taking our clothes off for the, for the cause. Like, it's not that. And to assume that women can't ever take their clothes off anymore is very backwards. I mean, it is completely leveraging off the male gaze. I don't think we can say that it does absolutely no harm because I think having women in these kinds of positions. And if you look at the photos of the women on the back of the motorbikes, like it's, it's you, they're clearly there as objects of the male gaze. And I think that's worth raising too. So I don't think we can say it does no harm, but I don't think it does a heap of harm. 
Yeah, I don't know. I'm just tired. I don't really see a problem with it. I'm just, ugh. It's Honey Birdette. They've been doing this for years. I'm more concerned about how Honey Birdette treats its staff, to be perfectly honest with you, because there are terrible stories about, alleged terrible stories there, <laughs> about um, Could save Zara. things that are going on in that brand. So to be honest, I'd be more inclined to protect their staff than, than the people that are signing up for this campaign. Mm-hmm. Number four, Chris Pratt, welcome back to the show, <laughs> responds to accusations his church is anti-LGBTIQ. That is from Elle Australia. I miss this. Please give me some backstory. So Chris Pratt was on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert maybe a couple of days ago, and he was being asked about his commitment to his religion and to his faith. And Ellen Page tweeted very publicly, as famous tweets often do, why aren't you asking him about his church's stance towards the LGBTIQ community? Mm-hmm. Anyway, Chris Pratt was forced to respond on his Instagram story yesterday or the day before, and it was an interesting kind of response. He said that his church is not anti-LGBTIQ, that his church is very welcoming. In fact, they even let him in when he was divorced and were very supportive of his divorce. I'm not sure we can conflate being a really rich, white, divorced man to being part of a minority and marginalised community that is often excluded from these kinds of churches. But mm. I, don't, I don't know. It, I think it's worth having that conversation that if, if a celebrity is wanting to sing the praises of their church and sort of give it the publicity that they want to give it, then we should be able to critique them. I think we should be able to critique Chris Pratt and say, you need to actually address some of the shitty things that the church stands for too. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm happy that Ellen Page called it out. I do like Ellen Page. She sort of has no real filter, but not in a way that's sort of rogue or unruly. It's very nuanced. Mm. And number five, this was Oh One. my God, I've just read this. I didn't realise we were talking about this. Jeez. This was, I think, the most popular <gasps> story in our Facebook group this week, but not for good reason. I'm having to prepare myself for this. Woody <laughs> Star's wife defends decision to anti-vax her kids. That is from news.com. I love that that's the term, anti-vax kids. I know. I don't think it's actually grammatically correct, but no, I did copy right. and paste that across. That's okay. Uh, anti-vaxxers. This is this was a dangerous story to spread around and it was really hard watching the coverage because some people covered it well and some people didn't. Mm-hmm. News.com I thought covered it quite well in that gave her quotes and then uh, in the second half of the article sort of talked all about why vaccinations are very important, what the the World Health Organization says. So mm-hmm. I thought that was really good. But some people just ran with her quotes and didn't fact check them. You know the one thing that infuriates me more than anything? This push towards anti-vaccination is entirely because and aided because so many kids are vaccinated. And so if you don't vaccinate your child, of course, they're, yeah, there might not be a super high chance that they'll get measles because everyone else's kids is vaccinated and everyone else is taking the fall for you. Yeah, exactly. It's that idea of herd immunity and we're protecting you yeah. and you're from your bad decisions. I, it was a really hard story to see in the news cycle this week just because it defied science and any kind of facts we've ever read. But I just thought media outlets, particularly one like Lad Bible, ran the, ran the story this week and didn't fact check anything that she said. And I just thought that is one of the silliest things we can do in the media is run quotes and not feel the need to fact check them in the hope of being objective or something. Yeah, I don't know. I just get so infuriated that people think that because they have access to a Google search engine that they can research for an hour or two and come to a more robust conclusion than people who have studied this for decades and decades and professionals who have done university courses and actually looked really deeply into the science and are experts in this. It's just so ridiculous to me that the average human can feel like they know more 
than the doctors and oh. scientists who research this There's stuff. a lot of fear there. There's also a lot of arrogance, I think. It's it's funnily timed that there was a piece on the Washington Post that was republished by The Age this week from a former anti-vaxxer and how they were how they came around to the idea of vaccinations. And the idea is that people did genuinely sit this person down and, and spoke to her about all of her concerns and sort of counteracted that with all of this science. And I think it's really crucial from here on out in how we have this conversation, right? How do we talk to people who are so filled with fear, who are so filled with maybe a little bit of ego as well and blinded by that to not be able to read science as it is or not trust the institutions that are telling us what to do. Yeah, well, it's also hard because this is so emotional and so emotive for so many people because it involves children. Yeah. And when your baby, particularly, who isn't old enough to get their immunizations yet, that's so important. Like it's really little people, really little humans who are being affected by this, which is why it's so hard to speak about it rationally because you might not be able to immunize your child yet, yet someone else's decision not to could risk that child's life. Yeah, there were theories in our Facebook group as well while we are still on this that it seemed quite deliberate that she did this publicly. I mean, she could have very much kept this opinion to herself and I think it connected her to a community of people who feel the same way, unfortunately. Um, and I, I wonder if there's sense of an, like a desire for notoriety there. Maybe. I don't know if that's too sceptical of me, but I did want to bring that in just so we could fact check it because some media outlets did not. Yeah. I mean, yeah, make the decision that you think is best for you, but please consult medical professionals who are recognized by the AMA. I can't stress that enough. I think a lot of people label themselves as medical professionals in this day and age because they did a certificate online, but you need to look at the officially recognized health professional fields, which are listed on the Australian Medical Association's website. And no, it doesn't include things like iridology and the like. That's all I've got for the quick and dirty today. <laughs> Thank you, Zara McDonald. Out of all the reality TV villains we've been introduced to over the years, Innes from Married at First Sight takes the cake. She's a woman so aggressive that she's been dubbed by many as abusive. Zara, do you think Channel 9 has crossed the line in airing her behaviour to the masses? Yeah. I don't watch Married at First Sight, but I watched a lot of YouTube clips in the lead up to this segment. And I do not understand this show. And I know this is going to make me seem really uptight, but this show is toxic, like genuinely toxic. How is it entertainment? Sell it to me. I love it. I really do love Married at First Sight. I think until you watch it, you can't judge it, yeah. number one. it Yeah, aspects of it are toxic, but there's people on The Bachelor and there's people on My Kitchen Rules. I haven't seen behaviour like this on The Bachelor, though. Oh, but remember last year on My Kitchen Rules where there was that racism segment and there was very nasty, abusive behaviour on that show as but well. But that's not where our bar should be. Like, all of it's bad. Why are we using this as entertainment? That's my confusion at the moment. If this is where our bar is, then we're in a heap of trouble. But hang on. I think you're looking at this the wrong way because shows like this are a lens into society and a lens into our population's consensus. So this says a lot. Our reaction and our discussion around Married at First Sight, to me, this will sound hyperbolic, but it says more about us than any census survey can. Shows like this, yes, they expose really gross, disgusting behaviour, but they indicate where our line is they help us discuss really important things and yes they sound trashy and they sound stupid but if you can sit down and watch a show and then go to your girlfriends or your parents or your boyfriend or whoever and have a discussion about what constitutes domestic abuse and discuss female perpetrators of dv 
Why is that not a good thing? It is a good thing, but that wasn't your question to me. And I think that's why we like this doing this podcast so much is because reality TV or things like this aren't taken seriously in the way that they should because they do hold a mirror up to ourselves. But your question was, do you think Channel 9 has crossed the line in airing this? Yes, because they haven't done it with a warning. And I don't understand why they haven't put the label on it. And I think that's the most dangerous thing they could have done. It's not that they're airing it itself, but they needed to package this in a way that was helpful. I agree. I think they... Haven't crossed a line in airing it. I think go ahead, air it. It's sparked some really helpful, interesting, insightful conversations. They really failed to wrap it in the correct terminology and they failed to really handle this the correct way. So for those who did miss it and didn't watch it, please don't feel bad. I promise you this is a discussion that anyone can have because we're going to use Ines to launch into something bigger and greater than just her. But for context... Ines has said really aggressive, violent things to her partner Bronson on the show. I'll read out a few quotes. So she and her partner Bronson went parasailing. And before he got up there, she said, if anyone has a knife, I can cut the rope and watch Bronson sail away into the sky. She also said, when he smiles, I want to punch him in the jaw. She also refers to him as that and it. Disgusting stuff. From the clips that I have seen, it is quite horrifying that these kinds of things, that these kinds of people exist as they do, but also that this stuff is on our television screens. I feel like having portrayed it in the way that they have, which is Channel 9 or Married at First Sight producers not calling her out for what this is, which is abuse, emotional abuse for sure, that they are glamorizing domestic abuse. I think the thing about emotional abuse and abusive relationships is that we need to define them so people know what they look for. But in not defining this as it is, we're all so much worse off because of it. Because suddenly we get into this massive debate about how male uh, victims of emotional abuse aren't taken seriously, that the conversations around domestic violence are too heavily skewed towards women, which as they should be. But I think we get into this murky territory and we get into semantics when we shouldn't have to. Yeah, well, one of the things that really sparked a lot of anger from the audience is when Mel Schilling, one of the experts on the show, only directed criticism from what we saw. It could have been edited in that way, but from what we saw on the television, only directed criticism towards Bronson. He called Innes a C word in this group event and she said a tip from me to you don't use language like that if you want any chance of a relationship and they said nothing to Innes about her calling him that I found this hard because there was a petition that circulated that had thousands and thousands and thousands of 63,000 to be precise (laughs) thousands and thousands and thousands (laughs) of signatures about um, Mel Sheeling saying this and and calling her to either resign or be fired or to apologize and I just thought that this was blatantly unfair because we see the tiniest portion of that conversation. We have no idea if they told Innisoff. And I think there's so much there that we don't see. In some cases, use of the C word can be laced with misogyny. And I think this kind of thing, this scenario where people are wrapping it in this idea that Mel Schilling is being sexist towards Bronson. Bronson is so misguided because I don't think it says anything to me about sex or gender or sexism. It actually says to me that the C word means so many different things to many different people and it's almost generational Mm. that people don't know what to do with this word anymore. Some generations can use it very freely in context they probably shouldn't. Not only freely, but as a term of endearment. 100%. And so, I mean, I imagine Bronson wasn't using that word as a term of endearment. But regardless, this kind of scenario only just said to me that some people still don't know what to do with this word and that it's in our lexicon. Yeah, well, this is what is really curious to me. How much weight do words have? Because in my mind, it is far, far worse to refer to someone as it, that, 
and inbred than it is to be called the C word. A C word, yeah, it's not ideal. Well, it's about your context, I guess, because my parents would not say the same thing. I would say, uh, I couldn't really care that much. I mean, if someone called me the C word... It's would bra- you be more offended by being called inbred or being called the inbred. C word? Yeah. But I am not surprised that a lot of people wouldn't agree with that. I think people our age can see that, mm. but older, perhaps not. I think we should put a lot of weight on words, particularly words that do dehumanise somebody else, because I think this comes to the crux of the Innes and Bronson relationship, in that she is not treating him like a human as as don't a lot of abusers in relationships and I think that's what we can safely call this relationship right abusive oh absolutely we would never ever 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 stand by a man going on national television and saying I wanted to punch her in the face when she smiled and what gets me right is that there would be warning after warning after warning before that they were kicking off the show exactly Beck Day wrote for women this week the most disturbing element is that producers are happy to air it without warning there is no discussion by the experts about the fact this behavior was unacceptable no visible support or care offered to Bronson. Now, there might have been behind the scenes, but my issue is that we didn't see that. And in not showing us that, we're not shown that it should be taken seriously. Mm, And I do think we do need to take, obviously, women's violence against men super seriously. Where the petition went bad or got kind of caught up in the wrong kind of conversation to me was when people started blaming feminism for what we saw unravel on television. In the original blurb on the viral petition that was signed by 63,000 people, they did talk about toxic feminism and how Mel Schilling must be a feminist to do this, which seemed so bizarre to me that we're linking feminism with a woman saying she wants to punch a man in the face. That is so not what feminism is. No, I know, but that tells you so much about how some people hate the feminist cause so much that they would love to conflate these two things. Mm. I I just think it's so unhelpful for all of us when this is not called out on the show as it is. I feel like it discredits the cause for all of us. Like there's nobody that wins when the show hasn't called this out. I feel like it gives the skeptics of domestic violence in Australia ammunition because I think it perpetuates the myth that feminism is about protecting women and hating men. The fact that they haven't called this out, people can easily jump, the MRAs can jump up and down and say, well, look, you're not calling this out, but you're happy to call everything else out. And I just think in a truly feminist world where the patriarchy was completely dismantled, Bronson would have no issue calling this stuff out himself or Channel 9 would have no issue taking this as seriously as they should have. Yeah, there was a really great piece about this as well in The Guardian, which I think the fact that The Guardian is writing about Married at First Sight and the goings-on in that TV show... That made me laugh. ...says a lot about how widespread this conversation has become. But the quote that I really enjoyed from that piece, which I'll put in the show notes, is, unsurprisingly, this extreme behaviour is feeding into the gender wars in a really unhelpful way. Women behaving as irrational, manipulative harpies and men as show chauvinistic bores because we are we're only seeing the polar opposite really in almost every couple where the men are either being really gross and kind of existing in this boys club mentality where all the women are irrational and ridiculous and then we've got Ines who is just so vile I know uh, maybe maybe the editing has been uh, unfair towards her I don't know but from what we've seen on television the quotes that she's given us are vile they're disgusting she does not belong on national television but I'm kind of happy that she is because yeah. I think we can now direct this conversation in a really helpful way because we don't really speak about violence against men and it is important there was also a really good piece in the conversation written by psychologists and researchers Linda and Rob Dubrow Marshall and they said much has been written about the role of patriarchy in contributing to 
domestic violence when men attack women. And social inequalities are a very important factor to consider, especially given that the majority of victims of domestic abuse are women. But to overemphasize this point minimizes the scale of the problem. I agree with that. And I understand, and I think it's for very good reason that our conversations in this country, particularly about domestic violence, are so heavily skewed towards women because women are the ones that are dying. But that's not to say that we can't occasionally infuse the conversation with something like this. It's been interesting to me watching Clementine Ford's Twitter feed because she is a massive Married at First Sight fan. Clementine Ford, for those um, who are unaware, is a a huge Australian writer, huge um, sort of advocate for women. Feminist voice. Probably the biggest feminist voice in our country, I would say, and I don't think that's overstating anything. And her tweets have been very interesting. She said, okay, MRAs are always talking about how women abuse men too. And in the case of Innes, I 100% agree. This woman is a gaslighter and a bully. She's horrendous and the experts should kick her off. Mm. So that was her first tweet. Then I saw another one that said, oh my God, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I think Married at First Sight has made me realize that toxic femininity is real. Because there's been a lot of conversations in the last few weeks or few months about toxic masculinity and whether toxic femininity is a thing. I mean, in this kind of case, humans can be toxic, generally. Humans can be toxic and clearly Innes in this scenario is very toxic and I'm glad we're having a conversation about it, truly, not to discount all of the other conversations we've had about women and violence and abuse. Well, a lot of the things that she uses to beat Bronson with is that he's not enough of a man or not respectable enough to provide for her and her future children. And I guess that really does feed into this idea of toxic femininity because a lot of it is that he used to be a stripper and therefore he's disgusting. I think she equated him to a junkie, someone who abuses heroin, which I think it's ridiculous to talk about either that way. But I am really happy that we're having this discussion anyway because we have spoken on the podcast before about uh, men's violence against women, but the Victorian Royal Commission into Domestic Violence found that 77% of perpetrators of DV are men, but that still leaves 23% of women, and I think our conversation should be balanced to reflect that. Well, I think what it should reflect in that the ABS also reports that men are more likely to be at the receiving end of emotional abuse in the home rather than physical abuse. And I think that's where the nuance in this conversation comes in. It's a far more emotionally charged conversation when we're having it about women, because like I just said, women are actually dying at the hands of this. Men aren't. So there's the distinction. But that said, emotional abuse needs to be taken seriously. And it's not to say that that these things don't happen to men because they do, but we do need to have real nuance when we're talking about it because I think it's not helpful to the conversation when we're not having this conversation in a smart way. Yeah, well, I think one form of abuse is more pressing and more urgent and needs our attention. And of course, that is physical abuse. And often we're not getting it. We're not getting the attention that it needs. No, but then obviously emotional and financial abuse are horrific and we need to call it out. What does Married at First Sight do from here? If you think they haven't done it properly in covering Innes' behaviour with that label of domestic violence, is it a domestic abuse? What do we call it? I would think I would call her an emotional abuser, a gaslighter. I mean, I would call the relationship abusive Mm. I think it'll be too late I imagine Married at First Sight or Channel 9 have already cut these episodes that the storylines have been well planned in advance so there will there won't be anything that's happened what they should have done is had the experts on camera calling it abusive that's what they needed to do and I wonder if I was Mel Schilling and I was working for Channel 9 and maybe I did do all this when filming took place six months ago but none of that was aired I wonder how much emotional trauma she's been through in the last week because she has been harassed and abused and 
trolled online like you wouldn't believe. I wonder how she feels that her employer has potentially let her down. I would be shocked if a psychologist did not look at Innes' behaviour and what she has said on that couch and not called it out. See, what I find most interesting about this Mel Schilling thing in that you're absolutely right, people have accused her of being sexist, but what's actually happened is she has been the victim of a lot of sexist trolling because of it. There is something about Mel Schilling being the woman that called this out and it wasn't the guy expert and I'm not, not going to pretend I know his name, <laughs> that it wasn't him. That means that this is so much more vicious because this is the kind of person that people, that MRAs hate. This is the kind of attitude that MRAs hate and this is the kind of thing that they want to run with to say feminism is a mistake. Feminism is going to dismantle our entire world. Mm. I mean, this is so ludicrous that some people even said that Innes must be an actress, which if she is, she's a bloody good actress because it's pretty convincing. But Who would ruin their reputation that much for the sake of an acting job? Mm, you'd have to be pretty highly paid. Yeah, you would. I mean, she's a legal assistant as well, so it's not like she's in a field where it'll be super easy. Like, It's quite a corporate job to be a legal assistant. You can't just jump in with a reputation like that so i know i wish i'm baffled i wish that channel nine wrapped this in a different way i'll be interested to see if anything changes or if they're holding out an episode or two where this finally culminates and they do do that i also wouldn't be surprised because they're giving us the space to have the conversation now and then maybe they'll wrap it at the end I, i don't know and i wonder if men like bronson will use the language of emotional abuse i feel like there's such an attitude where men have to be strong and they can't call out abuse for what it actually is but this was emotional abuse. I wonder if that's the type of language that he would I don't use to describe it. I don't think we're in a place where men feel safe enough to do that. Mm. I still feel like there's an underlying sense that it's emasculating to even admit that you've been overrun by a woman. So I don't think he will, even though I wish he could. Hey, mate. Mm-hmm. Tell me something. What colour is my tongue? What? What? <laughs> what colour is my tongue? It's what colour is it? Red. I don't know. Red. Red, red, or, or tongue red? Basil red. Show me yours. What? Show me your tongue. Come I'm on, I showed you mine. Showing you my tongue? Show me your tongue. Come on, Matt, I showed you mine. I didn't ask to see yours. Matty, I need to see your tongue. Basil red. This week, a widely shared article from Harper's Bazaar captured the mood faster than we had seen in a very long time. Titled, Why Does It Feel Like Everybody Has More Money Than You? Writer Jen Doll delved into the myths of the self-made human, inheritance and millennials with money. Mish, tell me why this piece interested you so much. Because I feel like it spoke to all the complexities and all of the feelings that I have when it comes to money and millennials and this myth that everyone's better with money than you? Well, I think there's inherent shame. I know inherent shame that I feel if I've had a bad few weeks with money, that if I'm not saving anything or if it's all just going out the window, I do feel a sense of irresponsibility because I'm like, well, everybody seems to be having better experiences than me or being able to afford far more things than I have. What am I therefore doing wrong? So I think this piece by Jen Doll, which basically it was very American, but she basically went in and said, I want to talk about inheritance. I want to talk about how millennials are getting their money. I want to talk about how my parents put a down payment on an apartment in New York City for me. And that's the only reason I can afford to live. And it's probably the only reason I'm working in the job that I'm working in now. And so then she went and interviewed a whole lot of people about where they got their money from, how they afforded to get things. And I think one of the biggest things we came out of it is people that tend to succeed are given a leg up in some way. And I know that doesn't sound like the most earth shattering thing, but I think it's really important as young millennials to have that conversation and start 
to start the discussion about privilege. Well, money equals opportunity in my mind. And one of the stats that really stunned me from that article was pulled from a 2018 study published in the American Journal of Economics and Sociology that said the average inheritance for white families is over $150,000, whereas if you're black, it's under 40000 So it's perpetuating that idea that uh, the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. I mean, in Australia, our rich are getting richer with the top 1% of Australians owning more wealth than the bottom 70% combined. Oh Doesn't that just make you sick? But I think tall poppy syndrome in Australia has a fuckload to answer for because we shut down people people very quickly when they're handed stuff and they admit that they're handed stuff. So why in the world would anyone now want to come out and say, I just bought a house, but when I say I bought a house, I mean my parents bought the house for me or they paid the deposit and I'm paying the rest off. We absolutely ruin those people. We make jokes about them. We bag them. And we need people to come out and say that because it's going to normalize all of our financial scenarios. Yeah, and I'm even guilty of this, but I feel like when someone comes out and says, oh, my parents bought this house for me, we put this label of a cheater on them. Like you cheated the system. You didn't achieve anything, which, yeah, okay, maybe it wasn't your money put towards it. But the more we push these people down and tell them to shut up about all this money they've got and tell them to be more humble about it, the less they speak about it and the more we're all gaslighted into thinking that everyone's working harder than us, getting promotions, being a more successful human than we are. But I think you can be humble and self-aware about this stuff at the same time. I don't think saying, hey, my parents actually put this payment down on the house is an inherently arrogant thing to say. God, no. It's a jealousy thing why we don't want to hear it. It's not because we don't like their arrogance. It's because we're jealous of them. It reminds me a lot of Kylie Jenner. And in July last year when she was put on Forbes's cover and the tagline was a self-made billionaire. And so ensued a massive sort of debate about whether Kylie Jenner was self-made. And there was this tweet from Roxanne Gay that definitely piqued my interest that was quoted in Jen Doll's piece that said, it is not shade to point out that Kylie Jenner isn't self-made. She grew up in a wealthy, famous family. Her success is commendable, but it comes by virtue of her privilege. And it makes me think, where do we draw the line on what makes you self-made? Because if having privilege is a factor that means you're automatically disqualified from being considered self-made, then there's not many people in the world that would be self-made because privilege is everywhere when it comes to success. Yeah. And that's why the entrepreneur bubble tends to be so white as well. I mean, we gave that uh, quote before about 150,000 compared to under 40,000, but on average, the cost to start a startup or the cost to be self-employed is $30,000. And studies have found that more than 80% of funding for new businesses comes from family and friends. And so all those people are probably going to be white. That's why we constantly have founders of companies who are white and people of color can't get there, not because they don't have the ideas or they don't have the initiative, because they don't have the $30,000 to go to their parents and ask for. That is cyclical and so steeped in history, right? You read any good interview with company founders and invariably they will lend money to start it up. Like that's the absolute truth. I don't think you can find many places where that isn't the truth. I think also privilege comes in many forms when it comes to these kinds of things, right? There's there's privilege in money and privilege in in getting loaned money, but there's also privilege in being raised in a way 
that's told you if you fail, you're not alone. Or there's privilege in being raised in a way that gives you enough confidence to feel like you can take risks. Like I think this is multi-layered. Just being raised in a safe space where you can kind of do whatever you want is a huge part of it too. Well, it's having a safety net. Yeah. It's kind of going out there and taking a risk, but also thinking, well, if this backfires, my parents have money that they can loan me or I can go back, I can go move in with my parents if something happens. It's funny you say this, right? Because um, I am freelance as of Monday. So when everybody's listening to this, that will be my first day as a self-employed human being. And I keep joking when people say, how are you looking forward to it? How are you feeling about it? I make a joke being like, I've got to make my own money now. So that will be interesting. But then I say, when people actually pull me up on that, I say, I'm not going to end up in the gutter. Like I'm not going to end up in the gutter because I live in a family that wouldn't let that happen. And there's so much inherent privilege in that, that you don't really say. I mean, part of the reason that I was able to go freelance much earlier than I ever intended is because I just stayed living at home longer. I have put this off. And that's the other thing that I will tell people is that I wanted to move out six months ago, but I've deliberately put it off because I can, because I live in a home that's safe and happy and I don't have to pay the rent that I would be paying elsewhere. And that's what makes this entire conversation really awkward and uncomfortable, but I think it's important to have. The only reason I'm freelance or not the only reason, but a big reason is my grandfather passed away in November, 2017. And without the money I inherited from him that next year, I'm not entirely sure I could have gone freelance last July. I have always had my own money and I think I'm pretty good with money. But what I did have was definitely bolstered by my popper passing, which feels so uncomfortable to talk about because I would do anything to have him back in my life. The way he enriched my life far, far, far outweighs the boost in my bank balance, which means I never want to talk about it because I still feel like I would prefer to have him there. But yeah, this money's in my bank account, which means that I can be self-employed and not worry about it. And then on top of that, my parents' separation has played well for me financially. All in these grim things. Yeah. So it was agreed when my parents split that I would be paid a sum every month. My, I, I didn't have a room at either of my parents' houses that they moved into after the separation. And it was decided that because I was moving out of home quite young, that I would then have a certain amount put into my bank balance. It didn't cover my rent or anything like that, but it did help me out. And if I just chose to move out at home at 22 and my parents weren't separated, I would have been worse off financially. It's weird that some of the darkest days in your life and the darkest events can then mean that you get a payout for it. And you don't really want to make that connection. Like, I don't want to say there's X amount in my bank account because my popper died. No, that is a hard one, especially for young people that come into grief very early and therefore inheritance very early, because it adds another layer of shame and embarrassment about what's in their bank account, because often they don't want it to be there. I mean, most people would repay it back tenfold if it meant they could have a few days with the person that they love. But it is part of this conversation for sure that we don't hear. I mean, Instagram, I think only heightens these issues because as we touched on when we spoke about celery juice last week it tells stories without the context i mean it's the biggest driver of consumerism for us money is all over the platform because money and aesthetics work so well together and it can feel like everybody has more money than all of us and i think it just heightens the idea that we're all doing something wrong Mm, It does. And I feel like uh, the best way forward is for us just to be honest and make sure that when someone does come out and say, 
I have this family money or that my parents helped me out, not to shout them down or tell them to fuck off. I remember there was this viral tweet last year that said, if your parents pay your rent, you should have to put it in your Twitter bio. There's just this very, it's funny, but there's this very snarky. I would have liked that at the time. So I'm clearly, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance going on here, being able to hold two thoughts at the same time, which are completely at odds. And of course it's annoying because it does, I don't come from a very wealthy family and of course it does feel like other people get a leg up through no work of their own. But at the end of the day, that's just how the world works. And you've just kind of got to get over it, that some people are going to have more money and some people will never have to work a day in their life. And that's just life. Yes, it is. And I think it's where that classic chip on the shoulder comes from. And that very classic Australian chip on the shoulder. But as much as you can say, or we can say, well, maybe we just need to get over this. We can, but we can also demand that people who do, um, who people who are given a leg up are bringing people up with them. Right. So I, like I just said, and we are going freelance probably far earlier than we ever would have intended. It's a bit of a scarier game when you're working for yourself at a pretty young age. But in doing that, what are people like us who maybe aren't here because we're the smartest people in the room, to be honest? I don't think we're idiots, but I don't think we're the smartest people in any room. So there's a lot of privilege going on in why we have these microphones. No offense to you or me, but it's the truth, right? (laughs) There's a lot of people that could do this job. So it's a matter of what what are other people doing who don't have to pay their rent or who don't have a huge financial burden doing for people that do. The way forward is just to point to your privilege. Always think back to your life and think to your career and think, yeah, you did hard work and that's great. And you probably succeeded a lot, but how many legs up did you get compared to other people? Do you think Kylie Jenner is self-made because of that? No, I'm really annoyed that Kylie Jenner, people like Kylie Jenner, don't speak up when they're labeled yeah. self-made. I really wish that more people would go, you know what? Probably not the best term to use for me because I did get this, this, and this. And while I do not want to downplay my own success and my own hard work, I wouldn't be here without a whole machine of mm-hmm. invisible cogs behind me. I feel like it's this invisible beast behind every person and no one really points to it. But the more we point to it, the more we expose a system that we are the major beneficiaries of, that other people are being victimized by? Yes. And I think it's a system that we actually can change. We can't fix it, but we can aid it by being open about it. Um, It's also up to us to not shouting people down when they talk about their privilege, because it's not bragging. It's actually just being self-aware. And I think that's on the rest of us to encourage people to want to have these conversations, especially now that we're all kind of priced out of the housing market. Mm. I mean, I think there's a conversation to be had there. I was reading a piece in Domain, my old employer, as of 24 hours ago, from last year. And it was research from um, Digital Finance Analytics that said that Bank of Mum and Dad now ranks as the 10th largest lender in the country. And that was from last year. There's a lot of people who are getting these legs up and I don't think we can begrudge them for it. I think we need to talk about it. I want to be really transparent that Mitch and I are looking to buy a place this year. And if we do end up buying a place at the end of the year, a good bulk of my side of the money will be from both my grandparents dying. My Nana died late last year and the money from both of those events will probably be a big chunk of what I put towards that house deposit. Yeah. And so it's a hard conversation to have because nobody wants to be, nobody feels comfortable saying things like that. But I think when millennials are struggling, I think millennials are struggling. I mean, all you have to do is read Anne Helen Peterson's work on millennials and burnout at the moment to know that we're working harder than we ever have. And we're struggling to crack into job markets. We're struggling to crack into the housing markets. Some people have huge student debt, that people are struggling under the weight of 
the economy at the moment and and that is worthy of a discussion. Yeah, and I think it's worthy to discuss how we also have to deal with the weight of everyone's distaste for us. There is so much negativity towards millennials and towards Gen Z from older generations. Like we're lazy and we don't give a fuck and we are taking handouts from our parents, all that type of stuff. It's difficult to to deal with that on top of everything else because we've got it really fucking hard when it comes to breaking into the housing market. And what are you supposed to do if you don't have a family handout or an inheritance waiting for you in your bank account? No, exactly. And it's just annoying to have distaste from other generations as if we're the worst generation to ever come about. That implies laziness, I guess, Mm. because I would hazard a guess that we are not a lazy generation. It's just been a harder one. Do you think we seem a bit woe is me? Our generation is so hard. We've got it hard. I mean, we don't have war. No, I know that, but I just think... Like, we didn't fuck up the environment. No, it's true. Older generations did, but no one really talks about that, do they? (laughs) They're always pointing the finger at us for everything. It's like, you're the one who's going to ruin the world. You literally killed the earth. (laughs) But sure, take the piss out of us and our avocado. Literally. We won't be able to eat avocado because you fucking polluted it all. (laughs) Jesus. How's the drama going on here? Hey, (laughs) but I do think anyone wants to read this piece, it's in the Facebook group. Our listener, Sash, put it in the Facebook group. We put it in our recommendations newsletter as well. What we'll do is when the episode goes live, they will put it on our Instagram story so you can swipe up and read it if you do want to get a really good picture about this entire issue because I think it's a very inclusive story. When I texted you and said, have you read this story yet? I remember saying straight away, it's very inclusive. It's inclusive to people who might come into money. It's inclusive to people who might not inherit money. Nobody is made to feel like a bad guy in the story, which I think is an incredible feat when you're writing about something so um, controversial, I guess, as money. Yeah, absolutely. I really enjoyed this piece. I really encourage you guys to go read it. And I think that's all we've got time for today. I think it is. We're about to go to a hen's party. <laughs> Do you think anyone genuinely cares? The last thing I feel like doing is drinking more alcohol. Of course Help. you do. Help. You guys are the best. Thank you so, so much for helping us sell out our second live show in Melbourne. Other states, please stay tuned across the coming months. We will definitely be announcing different dates in different cities. Until then, please go and follow us on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. And if you're listening and you enjoy this episode, take a screenshot, put it on your Insta story and tell your friends all about us. Yeah, do everything that Michelle said. And (laughs) that's about it. Thank you so much, guys. We will be back in your ears next Monday for another episode of Shameless. Bye. Hello, guys. Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.